please be seated. It's a great pleasure to be here with you once again this evening. And tonight, we'll be looking at a few important words from the Lord's Prayer. You know, along with the Ten Commandments, Psalm 23, and that beloved passage in 1 Corinthians 13 on love, this selection from the Scripture, the Lord's Prayer, is probably one of the most well-known places in the Bible, even for unbeliever and those outside of the church. So please turn in your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. And for our sermon this morning, we're going to look in particular at verse 12. But for context, I would like to read from verse 5. Matthew 6, verse 5 through 15. Hear now the words of the living and true God. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Let us pray together. O blessed Eternal One, Heavenly Father, we do call upon your most holy and blessed name this evening. Lord, we ask that your Holy Spirit would be with us, that you may teach us from your word, even these wonderful words from the prayer which the Lord Jesus taught his disciples. O Lord, we pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts would be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and redeemer, for we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So this evening, we'll be looking at the fifth petition or prayer request 
of the Lord's Prayer. And we find a brief description of this petition in the Westminster Shorter Catechism, question and answer 105. We read, what do we pray for in the fifth petition? In the fifth petition, which is, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, we pray that God, for Christ's sake, would freely pardon all our sins, which we are the rather encouraged to ask, because by his grace, we are enabled from the heart to forgive others. My friends, when we think about praying for forgiveness, do we see it as something that's central to our faith, central to our life, our daily walk? Do we have a sense of need and urgency to be reconciled to God, the Almighty God, the Eternal One, the Triune God, the Infinitely Holy God, the Personal God, even that we also may have fellowship with Him? My friends, do you pray? How do you pray? Isn't it amazing that the Bible records for us the teaching from the Lord Jesus Christ to his disciples as to how we should pray? And our text here speaks of a debt. Forgive us our debts. And this debt is common to all of us. It is both my debt and your debt. Now, this is not a financial debt, yet your obligation to pay it off is still in force, even though in yourselves you're not able to pay it. And the delinquency of paying off this debt is far more serious and long-lasting than some financial debt. The consequences of this debt will extend to all eternity. But what can we do about our debts? How will they be forgiven? The Lord Jesus taught his disciples to pray for the forgiveness of our debts. Not only that we may be forgiven, but even that we may forgive those who are indebted to us. And this evening... The Lord Jesus is still teaching you and me how to pray. Lord, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Friends, is that the sincere cry of your heart? Now, our text is not complicated, is it? And it will be the focus of our message this evening. And we can simply break it up in two parts. The first part, forgive us our debts. And secondly, as we also have forgiven our debtors, or as the text is rendered in the catechism, as we forgive our debtors. And that's how we'll be handling this text this evening. So let us turn now to the first division of our text, forgive us our debts. And actually what I want to do in something of a catechetical fashion is I want to present to you five different questions as we look at this first portion of our text. And so to begin with, we must ask the question, 
what is meant here by the word debts. Now, as we said, the meaning is not literal. Jesus is not talking here about praying for the liquidation of our financial burdens. But he is using earthly debt as a picture of something that is spiritual. What does it mean? Debts? Well, we see also in verses 14 and 15 of our text that the word trespasses is used in a, in a parallel fashion. For if you forgive other their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. But perhaps the meaning is clearest when we see the parallel account of the Lord's Prayer in Luke chapter 11. And at that corresponding place in verse 4, we read, And forgive us our sins, for we ourselves also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And so when we read here in our text, forgive us our debts, we are to understand that it's all about our spiritual problem with sin. But a second question may come to your mind. Doesn't the term debt imply that we owe something? But what do we owe? It's because you and I have sinned against an infinitely holy God that we owe Him justice for our sin. And because of all of our sins, we are debt in debt to Him, we are obliged somehow to make the wrongs in our life right again. This is the debt that we must pay. And don't be tricked into thinking that the Lord will overlook your sin. You must pay this debt, and so must I. Indeed, the Scripture uses language such as paying to the uttermost farthing or to the last penny. The parable of the unforgiving servant in Matthew chapter 18, which we don't have time to read this evening, speaks of a debtor's prison as a picture of hell. For you see, hell is the place where we go to pay off what we owe to God to satisfy His divine justice. Do you understand? Let me say that again. Hell is the place where we go to pay off what we owe to God for our sins in order to satisfy His perfect justice. And yet, because we have offended an infinitely holy God, our guilt against Him is also infinite. So you see, no matter how long we pay, penny after penny after penny, we will never get to that last penny. And that's why the judgment in hell is forever. So then what can we do with our debts? Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Come to Him for the forgiveness of your sin, of your debts. Receive Him so that He may be the advocate for your case at that heavenly tribunal where all the sentencing will take place. 
pleading with the judge for the pardon of our sin is our Lord and Advocate's speciality. Trust in Him. Only Jesus can pay your debts so you can escape that eternal debtor's prison. And then there's another question, a third question you may be asking yourself. Is praying for forgiveness only for the unbeliever as he first comes to Christ for forgiveness? Or is it for believers too? Well, we must ask ourselves, to whom did the Lord Jesus teach this prayer, this petition, forgive us our debts? It was to his disciples. It was to believers. And we see this even from the larger context of our passage. This whole larger portion is commonly called the Sermon on the Mount. In the opening of the fifth chapter of Matthew, we read, And seeing the multitudes, he went up into a mountain, that is, the Lord Jesus did, And when he was set, his disciples came to him. And then later in the chapter, we read Jesus speaking to his disciples. Blessed are you when men revile you and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in this manner they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is clearly addressed. The Lord Jesus is clearly addressing this to believers. So you see, you and I, as believers, if you are in Christ, need to pray for forgiveness. Not just asking for forgiveness. It's not just something for the unbeliever. But you may ask, why is that? I thought when I came to the Lord... All my sins were forgiven, whether they were in the past or even in this very moment or in the future. I thought my sins were forgiven already. Why should I, as a believer, be praying to the Lord for forgiveness of sin? Well, you're right. The Lord, if you are in Christ, the Lord indeed has forgiven all of your sin. There's no doubt whatever about that. But in order to alleviate some confusion, I need to talk to you about the doctrine of justification. In the Westminster Shorter Catechism, number 33, answer in question number 33, we read, what is justification? Justification is an act of God's free grace wherein he pardoneth all of our sin and receiveth us, or accepteth us, as righteous in his sight, only for the righteousness of Christ imputed to us, and received by faith alone. So, justification is a single act of God, a single act of his free grace. It's not an ongoing thing. Every time, as a believer, that we sin and we ask for the Lord's forgiveness, our justification isn't done all over again. Even as uh, a Dutch Reformed theologian, Wilhelmus Abrockel, had once wrote. But no, justification is a one-time thing. And our justification is the opposite of condemnation. 
For those who are justified in Christ, they are no longer under the condemnation of the law of God. That's why we love so much those opening words of the 8th chapter of Romans. There is therefore now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. Amen? So as Christians, when we pray for forgiveness, we're not asking for a new legal standing, a new legal pardon as in justification. But what we're asking for is a fatherly pardon. The pardon of our Heavenly Father. We are praying to remove the displeasure of our Heavenly Father for our sin. That's why we as believers ask for forgiveness of our sins. We are praying to restore our fellowship with the Lord and our daily walk with Him. But there's a fourth question you may ask yourselves as we consider these words, forgive us our debts. And I think this is really important. I want you to understand this point. It's also very practical. When we are Christians and we sin, the nature of sin in itself does not change. Sin is sin. Sin doesn't change when we're born again. The nature of sin remains. What changes is not the nature of sin, but our relationship to it. Every sin in itself deserves the eternal wrath of God. But this is precisely the place where we see the blessing of our justification in Christ. The Lord no longer imputes the guilt of our sin to us because that guilt was imputed to Christ on the cross. And so we are no longer under the law, that is the condemnation that comes from transgressing the law, but we are under grace, as we also read in Romans chapter 6. And even so, because the nature of sin hasn't changed, sin still desires, so to speak, by way of personification, sin still wants to take dominion over us. Remember this morning we talked some about the Lord's counsel to Cain and how the Lord personifies sin there as crouching at Cain's door. If Cain will just crack the door a little bit, sin will come rushing in through the opening so that it may rule over him. But once we are born again, that dominion of sin in us has been broken. That's essential to understanding the new birth in Christ. The dominion of sin over us has been broken. (laughs) And yet, it doesn't mean that we no longer have indwelling sin. Sin has not been extricated from us. And so we sin, even as those who are regenerated by the Holy Spirit. And as the Westminster Shorter Catechism, question answer 82, tells us, 
We sin daily in thought, word, and deed. For us to be perfectly sinless is for a different stage of our salvation. It's for a different season. We will never be perfectly sinless on this side of the grave. So, as believers who are justified in Christ, we still need to pray for our forgiveness. For the forgiveness, rather, of our sins. And here's a fifth question for you. Forgive us our debts. But how often should we pray to the Lord for forgiveness? In the Lord's Prayer that Jesus taught his disciples, what did he say? He said, give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Do you see how all these petitions are within the same time frame, which begins with the words, give us this day. And so I tell you that as disciples of the Lord Jesus, we must pray daily for the forgiveness of our sins. J.C. Riles comments that we are instructed here to keep up a continual habit of confession at the throne of grace, a continual habit of seeking mercy and remission. And then Riles says, we need daily to wash our feet. And he alludes to that passage in John chapter 13, where the Lord Jesus washes his disciples' feet. And actually, I think that place is very relevant for our discussion here at this point. Do you remember Jesus said to Peter, he who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. Do you understand? So we as believers in Christ are completely clean, but we still need to wash our feet daily because we get them dirty from our daily sin. My friends, are you completely clean in the sense that the Lord Jesus speaks of? Or have you not met yet with Christ? Seek the Lord for forgiveness of your sin. Cry out to Him, Lord, forgive me. I've committed so many terrible sins. There are so many I can't even begin to number them. Oh God, forgive me for my sin. Let us turn now to the second division of our text in the words, as we forgive our debtors. Now, what does it mean to say, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors? When we forgive our debtors, it simply means that we are forgiving those who have sinned against us. But at this point, I also must clarify a couple of different ideas. First, when we forgive our debtors, that is, those who've sinned against us, we are not making any kind of atonement for their sin. 
we are not able to forgive sin as it offends the Most High God. Only God can forgive sin in that sense. When we forgive our debtors, it is not for how they have offended God, but it's how they have hurt us. In other words, though I forgive my debtors, they are still debtors to the Lord, even for the same sin that they committed against me. Secondly, we must understand that in our text, the forgiving of our debtors is not to be understood as meritorious. It is not as if the Lord is saying, He forgives us because we forgive others. There's not a causal relationship here between these two phrases, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. That would just be another form of salvation by works, wouldn't it? Yet, on the other hand, and I think unmistakably, the Lord Jesus is presenting a connection between these two phrases. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And that's because in the work of God's grace in our lives, these two things will always be found together. Indeed, by God's grace, they are inseparable. In other words, if you have been forgiven, then you will be able to freely forgive those who sinned against you. And if you have freely forgiven others, then this might indicate that you yourself have been forgiven. But I want to ask you, if you can't forgive others for what they have done to you, then what assurance do you have that your sins have been forgiven? You see, the Lord has tied these two things together. That is what the scripture is teaching here. It's not surprising that we see the same teaching echoed in the Apostle John's first letter. We read in 1 John chapter 4, If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar, a liar. For whoever does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? We have this commandment from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Look again with me at these verses in our passage, in verses 14 and 15. What, what does it say? For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. What is the meaning here? What's the Lord's message to us? Forgive or remain unforgiven. Strikingly, Matthew Poole comments here, indeed, those who retaining their malice in their hearts, malice because of how people have sinned against you, when they put up this prayer unto God, Lord, forgive me, 
for my debt. Forgive me for my sins. Poole says, they do in effect pray down divine vengeance upon their souls. And similarly, J.C. Royal writes, if we pray with malice and spite in our hearts towards others, it is as much as saying, Lord, do not forgive my sins at all. But you may say, I understand, preacher, what you're saying, but my, my bitterness, my resentment, even the malice I feel when I think of what they have done against me, it's so hard. It's so hard to get rid of it. How can I forgive them? How can you forgive your debtors? You can't, except by the grace of God. But here are some other things for you to consider. When you speak of forgiving your debtors, are you just paying lip service? After you forgive them, do you still talk evil about your debtors to others? And do you forgive your debtors only grudgingly, and then later on you find that you're full of resentment towards them? Do you forgive others while your curses towards them are still clenched between your teeth? My friends, listen to me. How would you like it if the Heavenly Father forgave you in the same way that you forgive others. Remember the words of our text, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. If you allow bitterness and malice towards others to burn in your hearts, you'll become, as the old adage says, your own worst enemy you'll be burned by a fire made of your own kindling. Resentment will inflame your soul and burn from the inside out until you are completely consumed. My brothers and sisters, don't you see that the opposite of bitterness, resentment, malice, the opposite of those things are Christian virtues. In Scripture, we are told that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, meekness, and self-control. Friends, wouldn't you rather have those sort of things dwelling in your heart rather than malice and bitterness and hatred? But perhaps you are still thinking that but no one really understands how I've been treated by others. My friends, we need to step back and see how others, not just you or me, have suffered. Is it possible that others have been sinned against in greater ways than you? Is it possible that just some may have been sinned against in greater ways than what you have suffered?
Do you have brothers who have threatened to kill you, but only relented once they had an opportunity to sell you into slavery, as was the case with Joseph? Have you ever been whipped with 39 lashes on five different occasions and beaten with rods at three different times as the Apostle Paul suffered? And what about the heroes of faith that we read about in Hebrews 11? Have you ever been stoned? Have you ever been sawn in two or run through with a sword? Have you ever been forced to wander in deserts or in dens or caves? And of course, I would be negligent to omit the greatest example of them all. What about the Lord Jesus? What about him? Have you ever been betrayed by a close friend for money? Have you ever been betrayed so that even though you were innocent, it resulted in your death sentence? Again, have you ever been scourged or whipped? Have you ever been crowned with thorns to mock you as a king when you actually were a king? Have you ever been nailed to a cross to hang for six hours as you slowly die by exhaustion, blood loss, and suffocation? And at the same time, bearing the eternal punishment for all the sins of the elect. But what sort of things, what are are the things that you have suffered what, what, what are the sort of things that we typically complain about? Are you angry because you still haven't received the promotion you believe you deserve at work? Do you feel depressed because others at school don't like you as much as you would like them to? Or are you disappointed with your marriage because it's not as fulfilling as you expected? How do your sufferings compare with others? My brothers and sisters, can't you forgive? Can't you forgive your brother? Can't you forgive your sister? But even now, are you making distinctions in your mind, excuses? Well, yeah, (laughs) I've never been sawed in two. And of course, no one has suffered what the Lord suffered on the cross. But you don't know so-and-so and what he or she has done to me. Here's something that I don't want you to forget. If there were only one thing to remember from the message this evening, this would be it. The reason that you have trouble or you're not able to forgive others is because you don't understand the weight and the depth of your own sin. Do you remember the woman who interrupted the dinner engagement that the Lord Jesus had with a Pharisee named Simon? 
We read about her in Luke chapter 7. She wept at the Lord's feet and used her hair to dry the tears and anointed the Lord's feet with precious ointment. The Lord himself said that she loves much because she was forgiven much. My brothers and sisters, can you imagine this woman holding a grudge against someone else? Especially for some petty offense. Can you even picture her having any bitterness at all in her heart after she was so completely melted down by the love of the Lord Jesus? This is the antidote for the poison of bitterness in our hearts. We must meditate on the love of Christ. His love for sinners. Look into the gospel and see like this woman that you too have been forgiven much if you are in Christ. And don't stop praying. Remember our text comes from the Lord Jesus teaching us how we should pray. My brothers and sisters, we must not neglect to be men and women and children of prayer. And when you pray for an increase of Christ's grace in your life, you are actually already demonstrating your dependence on His grace. Let me say that again. If you pray for an increase of Christ's grace in your life, you're actually demonstrating your dependence on His grace. Lord, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lord, forgive us our debts, but then we come full circle, don't we? As I am forgiving my debtors, oh Lord, forgive me. Amen. Let us pray. Oh, blessed Lord God and Heavenly Father, we do praise you. So we read in that very well-known text that the Father so loved the world, and that's why he sent his Son, even that he may be sacrificed, even for his own people, that he may bear the burden of their sin. Thank you, O Lord, that you indeed are a God of perfect justice and perfect righteousness. We praise you for that. We also praise you, Lord, for your great tender mercies that are found in the Lord Jesus. Thank you, O Lord. We do pray. Help us to pray. And we do pray. Help us to continue to pray. Help us to continue to seek you in the heavenlies where you are, that we may set our affections above. Lord, we pray, be with us now in the remainder of this worship service and throughout this evening on your holy day. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.